0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Hey, parents, did you know your kids' money habits start as early as the second grade? Help them build budgeting and financial skills for the real world with GoHenry, the debit card and financial learning app for kids 6 to 18. Use it to check off chores, set savings goals, Automate Allowance and more. Families love it. 92% of parents said their kids were more money confident after using the app. So get started at GoHenry.com. That's GoHenry.com and use the code E2. That's the promo code E2 for one month free. Again, GoHenry.com and get one month free with promo code E2. This is E2 Entrepreneurs Expos, where we speak with all kinds of founders and creators doing amazing things in business and beyond. If you enjoy the show and E2 is part of your podcast routine, you can become a supporter. Go to glow.fm slash E2. That's glow.fm slash E2 if you're interested. And most importantly, a huge thanks to those that have supported us there so far. Today on the show is Lloyd Lobo. At Lloyd Lobo on Twitter, that's L-L-O-Y-E-D. He is the co-founder and president of Boast AI, a fintech platform that automates access to billions in R&D tax credits and government funding to help innovative companies fuel their growth. You can also find Lloyd featured in Forbes, TechCrunch, Box, Business, VentureBeat, and more medium du jour, let's say. Okay, in this one, we discussed Lloyd's very scary brush with COVID-19 back in January, the company's recent $23 million Series A round, and why Lloyd decided to pass on even more cash. The business trope of, quote, company culture fit and why Lloyd hates that so much, startup culture in both Canada and the U.S. and how they differ, and so much more. So with that intro over and done, let's get right to the show.
0: Let's start off the top. So how do you explain both to your mom? Definitely. I think the easiest way to explain both to my mom is there's billions of dollars in government funding but the application process is complex and nobody wants to deal with the government because they're afraid of getting an audit. And we streamline and automate that process so people can get more money faster to grow their business. So grants, shred credits, uh, all of the above? R&D tax credits, government incentives, yeah.
1: And AI is the tech that bolsters all this.
0: Exactly, exactly. Because the thing is, you know, typically what happens is you incur a year of expenses. At the end of the year, you talk to your tax accountant if they even know these incentives exist in the US or Canada. And, um, and they go through a proctology exam asking you as a company, tell me all the work you did in the last year, all the documentation and all of this stuff, right? And we integrate with the company's technical systems and financial systems to pull that data in through the year. So we're not looking back. And, it, and, and that way we can get them the maximum amount possible. We can identify what qualifies proactively. We can claim it and we can finance those credits. Is this frictionless from an integration standpoint? The f- integration is frictionless uh, with the integrations we do have. Like it's like authenticating with Jira or GitHub or QuickBooks or whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. It sounds like a so no brainer. Easy. How many companies are you powering at this point?
0: Um, I think a thousand or so
1: and how much and, and, uh, have you recovered in terms of tax credits r&d etc uh, over
0: 350 million wow so it's a lot a lot of a lot of money and then we've been growing really fast you know we bootstrapped the company through last december and then we you know raised money went from 30 people to 100 people a lot of stress <laughs> but a lot of good stress we've been doubling growth and revenue year over year While we incorporated Boast AI in 2017, prior to then, we had a consulting firm called Boast Capital, which was doing already tax credit consulting. And in parallel, my co-founder and I, we worked on a number of other projects. We did an AI for customer service that failed. It was built on top of Zendesk. Then I went on and um, did an AI for sales product. uh, And uh, that also failed. And then after those couple of fa- failures in the AI space, when Alex and I said, "Hey, you know what? We have this consulting firm, so you got good validation at least that customers want a better solution. Why don't we just build software and move them over?" And so 2017 is when we incorporated Boast AI. So you know we did we did things manually at you know uh, pre boast AI. The way I learned from my experiences was that. Customers want an outcome. They don't want your fancy software. They don't want AI, they don't want dashboards. They want an outcome. Your job is to get them that outcome. Um, And your first phase in the validation phase, I mean, you, you can't be putting effort anywhere other than getting them that outcome, right? If you have to augment it with humans, you augment it with humans, whatever possible, get them the outcome. Your job, number one job is validation, right? Phase one. And then you go to phase two, phase two is sort of product market fit, product market fit, ideally half a million to a million here, your North star metric is retention. And I'm speaking from a B2B perspective, Mm -hmm. customers are paying you and they're retained hundred percent. You got hundred percent NRR net revenue retention. Your NPS is very high over 50 and and customers want to keep coming back. So now you got product market fit. So you focus on one goal, right? Validation, get people to pay you and try it out. And validate that you're solving the pain point. They're happy. Phase two, product market fit, half a million to a million in revenue. You've got high retention, high NPS. Phase three is product channel fit. And product channel fit is identifying one repeatable, scalable channel. For you guys, what does product channel fit look like? Definitely. For us, Product Channel Fit, we build a massive community. We run a community of 110,000 subscribers called Traction. Um, Through the failures, we started doing these pizza nights. And more and more founders would come every time we do these pizza nights. And that blew up into a conference and then turned into a community. And now we do like two live webinars a week, dinners in different cities, conference. Next year, we'll do three big conferences. So it turned into a community. And our BD people were more like sort of community managers. They would go out and like share advice. And I have this fundamental belief that fall in love with your customer and make them successful beyond your product or service. If you build a community, you will not become a commodity. If you build a community, you won't be a commodity, Mm -hmm. right? Effectively, like, you know, similar to Nike, right? And I'm not comparing us with Nike, but look at Nike. They sell shoes. Shoes is a commodity, but Nike never ever says, oh, these are the features of our shoes and why it's better than Reebok. Mm-hmm. They, highlight innov- they highlight athletes and athletics, right? And that's what, that's what we've done with Traction is like, yeah, we can tell you why our software is 10X better than the market. We get you more money faster for less time and risk. It's proactive, blah, 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 right? Um, you don't have to wait to get your money from the government. We could talk about all this stuff, but really why we do this community is because we're highlighting innovators. Our mission at Boast is to enable innovators to become successful by giving them funding and resources. And so we highlight innovators. We bring the top innovators from like Twilio to Shopify and everything in between to share learnings on how they've become successful with our community. And through last year, 40 to 60% of our leads were coming through referrals. And and so we have this title called business development. Now this year, and 40 to 60% is huge, man, Mm -hmm. to get through referrals, through word of mouth. This year, we started adding salespeople and sales development reps. And very quickly, it's become a third, 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 like a third inbound, a third referrals, a third to 40% coming from sales development. And sales development is really kicking it. And, and you know, you, you can't do great sales development if you don't have a brand or community, right? Then it's just noise. Oh, I'm spamming people. But because distraction traction stuff happens, two webinars a week, people are seeing us, um, then it adds to that sort of flywheel. Yeah, how, I mean, if
1: you have this super strong community in the form of traction that you guys have built and you've nailed the first two steps, so step one, validation, step two, product market fit, why do you need the venture funding to scale this?
0: You know, uh, I I think one of the key things was, as a bootstrap founder, you're always a running man. Mm. And I've been a part of venture-backed companies before. As a bootstrap foundry, you're always running, running. And so venture funding brings calm if, if done non-frivolously. And the way to do it non, non-frivolously is you bootstrap for a bit and get to a point where you have a repeatable, scalable channel for growth. Every dollar you put in can generate three or four or five. And the second thing is um, you have product-market fit. So then you raise venture money, you can raise on your own terms when you raise that money and you raise it for a set plan. Let's validate it, get five, 10 people to validate it. And let's get to product market fit, let's get retention and let's get to product channel fit. Let's figure out a repeatable scalable channel for this new product and then scale. Like, But the thing is what happens is when you raise lots and lots of capital, then you just like throw everything out of the window, your first principles of your business and you start saying, ah, let's just build it and then sell it. Let's build it and sell it. But that's why we, we, I mean, it seems like a big round, 30 million Canadian or 23 million USD. But we only took how much we need. We're still a profitable company. And that is the best part. Mm. Despite the venture funding, we are profitable. So we didn't take obscene amounts of money. We took 30 million Canadian or 23 million USD just enough so that, that we can, you know, run the company with for the next couple of years.
1: Yeah. So let's dive a a little bit deeper into some of this. So starting with the first thing you said, quote, venture funding brings calm. And it makes complete sense what you're saying. But the flip side of the argument is that, you know, you have a bad experience, you partner with the wrong VC firm, and then you've committed to this growth plan that you can't execute. And you're answering to X number of VC partners, board members, et cetera, your stress levels through the roof. And You just fall flat on your face. So what's been your experience with all of that? Does it resonate with
0: you? My biggest learning is if you treat people like a transaction on the way in, they're going to treat you like a transaction on the way out. A lot of founders look at lots of money in the market right now. And ultimately, business fundamentals still hold true. But the current market is based on demand and supply. If you optimize for the transaction and keep saying, oh, let's go higher and higher and higher on the valuation, let's take more and more and more money. once some major roadblock hits, either they're out of there, they're not gonna fund your next round or you're out of there as a founder. And that's, that's what I've seen through companies happen. And I think the most important thing is to optimize for the relationship. Relationships transcend companies. And so we took money from just one investor. Just to give you an idea of the boardroom conversation, you got one VC, you got one independent board member. In the summer, a couple months ago, we got thrown into the mix for a series B round. We weren't really raising, we didn't need to, because all our execs started in May. But there's just so much inbound, right? So much inbound, 21 VCs, top tier VCs, chasing. So we're like, okay, maybe let's run a process. And through that process, we realize that if we raise this money right now, um, it's good. It's gonna sit on the balance sheet, you get lots of money. But what that's gonna do, it's gonna make our new execs feel like they're running with a gun to their head, committing to some obscene number next year. I think it was brave of well, my co-founder and I, we punted the raise in, in the middle. We emailed 21 VCs on a Friday and we said, hey, you know, uh, thanks for all the time. We really enjoyed the conversation. But uh, based on internal discussions, we feel that we have enough money in the bank and we're not capital constrained. We'd like to, and our, a raise right now would we'll just make it seem like, make our execs feel like they have to run with a gun to their head. So we're gonna, we're gonna let a few initiatives play out for the next six to nine months. And, and let's stay in touch for next year man, that triggered like massive FOMO. Our board members started getting emails and whatnot. Like, oh, I did these guys preempt a raise and this and that. But you know what? Having a calm board of mature people and one VC and one independent board member, they're like, guys, like punted. who cares? Like, we never told you to go on this race, right? It's inbound, you're entertaining inbound. You know, don't feel FOMO, right? If for good companies, money is gonna be there. We did our series A. Then after that, I got COVID. And um, you know, my whole family got COVID and everyone was fine. Jan second roll around, I wake up unable to breathe, I'm coughing blood, I'm hospitalized, my lungs are shot, I'm on oxygen. Man, I cried that time. I was like in tears. And I'm like, what have I done? Right? Like it's you know, it's it's not the money in your bank, it's the people around your tombstone that matter the most. Okay. So, and so I was like, hold on
1: with that. So just just so I get the timeline straight. This is post series A from Radian, right? You've already locked down that round? Yeah. Okay. So what you talk about, I mean the idea of venture funding bringing calm. The irony here is that you went through this process, you raise the 23 mil, you bring on Radian, you you boot out or you punt the the series B. And then you land on a hospital bed with COVID.
0: Let me tell you the timeline. We did the series A then I get COVID in January, mm-hmm. and and um, so I'm, I'm in the hospital bed. My, I'm on 24-hour Zoom, can't see my family, unable to breathe on oxygen, all bad. Um, I, I, my lung capacity came back to normal, probably normal-ish in May. But I came back from the hospital. I said I'll spend more time with my kids. I started, I started. But then we went on this hiring rut. And I forgot what I went through a little bit. Mm. And and I, and I started like, you know, working again, um, which was fine. I still had a balance. I, I do sort of um, camping with my kids, indoor camping because we can't leave and all that stuff, still did it. But then the fundraise happened and I'm like, man, I'm going back to exactly what I said I wouldn't do last year, mm-hmm. like after the COVID. Mm-hmm. Like it's just jammed from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. and then And I'm like, there's three weeks of this um, we punted the fundraise for the right reason, in that we didn't re- need the money and we didn't want to stress the company. But during that time, my daughter comes and says, "Hey, remember your promise?" And like, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And then, if it is to take care of the honored people, why don't you just get a job with another founder who also equally cares for his people? Um, so, just a lot of uh, realizations happened around the same time uh, that was very coming. But it takes a lot of bravery from the board, from the founders to punt a fundraise like that. But the, the other thing also is we came from this bootstrap DNA. We'd been a part of venture-backed companies before. Um, if you raise money and you don't have a plan to spend it based on first principles, you're going to blow up, right? Like, I mean, the current market is an anomaly. This, what's happening right now with like companies getting few hundred million dollar valuations on less than two, three million in revenue is an anomaly. Right? You don't know how this is going to play out in two years. If you want to build a business for the long haul and you're going to keep your customers happy, you got to treat it like a relationship and take money when you need it and how you need it. And also some markets, man, Adam, they're not winner take all, right? We're in this, we're the uh, sort of at the intersection of, we're at the intersection of uh, fintech and tax. It's not a winner take all market. The big four has been doing it for decades. They're not going away. Yep. Right? There's, th- there's hundreds of consultants. We're in a fragmented, not winner-take-all market. Accounting and tax is not a winner-take-all market. We want to be the enabler. We want to be a solution that the big four will use and accounting firms will use to service R&D credits to their clients and, and customers will use. When
1: you talk about building this business for the long term, right, G- given the fact that it isn't a winner-take-all market and... Given some of the other goals and objectives that you've mentioned and you've written about online, for example, uh, focusing on impact, building something timeless, uh, giving people a solid purpose, all of these things that are kind of not anti-Silicon Valley, but in a way, very progressive values, very progressive ideas for a guy at the helm of an AI company. How do you square those two things and how do you make it happen?
0: Our mission at Boast is to enable innovators to become successful and change the world every dollar spent in r&d returns 20 in new economic activity and this is, this is published stats in the last 15 years though more than 50% of the fortune 500 companies have evaporated because they haven't had an effective way to innovate right the larger the company innovation gets stifled silos etc so if you're falling in love with the customer and the problem which is why do you need r&d credits to capitalize the business to then fund innovation, to then accelerate innovation. So really, is the goal getting R&D credits or is the goal accelerating innovation? Well, our customers want to accelerate innovation. So R&D credits are beachhead. We're collecting technical and financial data real-time through the year, stitching it, automating the process or streamlining the process of getting R&D credits. But now we're like, okay, I've simplified the R&D tax credit or shred claim process, but wouldn't you be happier if you got the money sooner. So we're launching this new product, which says for every quarter or month you spend in R&D, we'll give you the money now. So you don't wait to file it with your taxes next year and get it from the government. So 16 months sooner. But now that you have the money and I have all your data, can I not then based on that data unlock more value for you? Like what projects you should invest in, what projects generate more ROI or who you should hire Things like that, right? And that's what happens when you fall in love with the problem or the customer. Your solution and your feature self keeps evolving. Did you
1: have this kind of clarity with automatically and some of the other startups that failed? Like, what do you attribute those failures to? And what have you learned?
0: I think the key, key learning there is customers want an outcome. And it's very important for you to validate with a small group. Like Paul Graham from YC says, do things that don't scale when you're starting up. The definition of doing things that not don't scale is literally that, talk to a handful of people, get them to try it out, preferably pay for it, and then keep getting feedback until you can launch. But if you go and launch a, a product-led company on first go, and you get thousands of people who have a bad experience, then the reversal will fail you.
1: Yeah. Do, do you feel like you have a unique perspective um, relative to other founders? In Silicon Valley, given the fact that you've spent enough time in Canada, you were essentially uh, you grew up in Canada, right? And then you moved to the US and now you have this experience down in in the Bay Area.
0: I don't attribute my learnings to Canada or anything else. So I I was born and raised in Kuwait, then in my teens moved to Canada after the Gulf War, a few years after the Gulf War. Uh, I did engineering in Canada and pretty much uh, my second job took me to the US. My girlfriend got into med school And now my wife uh, in New Jersey. So I moved there, worked in product at a startup there. Then she got her residency at Drexel in Philly. I went and worked in growth at another startup. Then she got her fellowship at Stanford. So we moved to California in 2011. Um, And I started working on my own project Mm -hmm. since. So I don't know if it's unique perspective being in Canada versus the U.S., um i wouldn't call it that i think it's the my perspective is all formulated by doing stuff and talking to other founders like just just learning by doing um canada has great engineering talent i think at the time when i moved to the us canada lacks a lot of go-to-market talent that's good it has great engineering talent But the go-to-market expertise is not there, but it will happen now, right, in the next three, four years because a lot of people coming out of Shopify and Ada and all these other unicorns that exist in Canada now, Thinkific and so on, right? Like if both, you know, goes IPO, imagine the number of people that'll get out and start companies because they've seen us from the ground up. That'll happen. 10 years ago, Canada did not have that. So honestly, I feel... All my connections came as a result of being in Silicon Valley for the last ten years, for whatever it's worth. Uh, and one of the most important things for a founder, is not money, it's resources. You don't get that in Canada, and you know they often say you become the sum of the five people you hang out with. Canada has great traits: so good government support, people are loyal, they stick around for years, uh, they care about work-life balance rather than you know just optimizing for the dollar. They're not as transactional. Mm-hmm. Um, there's great engineering talent. Uh, but when it comes to resources, capital, go-to-market support, uh, Silicon Valley is unbeatable from that perspective. Without the connections and the resources we made in Silicon Valley, they, we couldn't have done things like traction and build this massive community and all the connections. We couldn't have met our VCs. So I think, I think it's, a, it's a combination. And my unique perspective, I guess, that I can attribute is I'm not optimizing for a local maximum. I don't want to be the best founder in Toronto. I don't want to be the biggest company in Canada. I don't want to hang out with the baddest uh, entrepreneurs in Toronto. I want to find the best people across the globe.
1: What's the type of culture that, that you want to build for both long-term and do you feel like, you know, the 60 plus employees that you have from Canada uh, is a differentiator in terms of building that culture?
0: You know, culture is set by the first few people and your job as you hire more and more people is make sure that there's value alignment. Mm. When things fail is because you bring on people who align with the outcome of the company as it pertains to their stock options and their personal mm-hmm. growth, but but not when they align on values, right? That That is a key thing. It's It's very, very important to write down your values. I know this sounds like bullshit, But this is the reality of the situation, right? You got to write down your values and the people you hire every time, you got to benchmark them against those values. You got to score them against those values. I can't say enough how important this is. There's three things people innately care about. There's some people who care about control. All they care about is like having the buck stop with them. They care about control. Uh, There are people who care about money and then there are people who care about impact. Now, people will often say, oh, I care about impact. Don't look at their lips. Watch their actions, observe what they do. People who crave control destroy relationships and companies. This is because more companies die of indigestion than starvation. Have you seen around companies where like a leader wants to own all departments, but then uh, you get into a situation where their subordinates, you're like, oh, I could take this on and move it along faster because you don't have the time. But it's like, no, no, no. Job of a leader is to build, inspire and motivate a team to deliver. They should... Provide the vision, the mission, the values, and the metrics. You got to be an input, you, you not an approver, right? Your job is to inspire people and unblock them, not own everything. But people who crave for control or power, they destroy companies and relationships. Second thing is money. Having a focus on money is very, very important. Of course, money is a means to an end. You need money to grow the business. But people who focus so much on money, they make short-term decisions. This quarter, next quarter, the quarter after that if you want to change the world, you got to focus on impact. And it's going to be very, very hard focusing on impact. You got to do it. Ultimately, it works out, right? You're not making one quarter, two quarter decisions. You're making lifelong decisions. If, I, if we didn't focus on impact, we wouldn't have built a massive community like traction, right? Um, if you focus on impact, like power, money, fame, this is all like fleeting, right? If you focus on impact, you'll build something that's timeless.
1: But how do you put these people through this filter during the recruiting process? Like, are there certain questions? or Is there a litmus test for this before you actually bring them on board?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think one of the key things is you ask them scenario-based questions, right? Like, if you were faced with such a situation, how would you react? That's the best way. Ask them scenario-focused questions. Because if you ask them a question like, oh, do you care about power, money, or impact? What... What would you pick? hundred or hundred people are going to tell you I care about impact, right? So you got to, you got to put together scenarios relevant for your business and say, hey, um, you are faced with such and such situation. What are the key actions you would take, right? Maybe it's a promotion or maybe it's client related. A simple answer is we made a big screw up on a client, but the client doesn't know and we can recover from it. What would you do in a situation like this? Um, kind of thing, uh, because maybe if the client finds out of that screw up, which we did fix or on the path to fixing, it's a half a million dollar client and they'll churn. So what would you do in this situation? Those kinds of things are, are like really, really important, asking those questions. Or um, you're in a situation where a team member or an executive did something really wrong, what would you do in such situations? So those are important questions. You ask scenario-based questions to understand people's values. And when you ask those scenario-based questions, you can also see if they align on value. See, I don't believe in this concept of culture fit. I think culture fit is the biggest bullshit trope in the history of business, right? I literally, I hate the word culture fit. So many companies, Use it, right? So many companies use it. It's become a disguise for bias and gatekeeping to leave people out. You can't, you can't build a fast growth company by only hiring those who are just like you, or you know this whole age-old beer test, right? You got to work with people who bring new culture, new values, align on values, but let them bring their own personality, let them bring their own culture, like. Personality doesn't mean culture fit, right? Alignment on values is what it should be because openness is the biggest and most indispensable enabler uh, of growth. And so in that interview process, you got to find for values. This
1: idea of openness as an enabler for growth. So you've you've talked uh, about and been very open about your your, um, experience with COVID. And we touched on that earlier. And thank God you're on the other side of that. But you've also mentioned you know, battling depression in the past, um, your company failures, what you've learned from losing a child. Can you talk more about the idea of openness as an enabler and what you've been through?
0: I always say never let rejection or failure rule you. Let it fuel you. And I've seen this. I I don't know what it is. And I, I think it's my it's my mom saying, keep my son grounded. I feel like every couple of years I go through some hell. I go through some hell, but then there's some life-changing good that comes out of it and makes me stronger. I don't know what it is, right? So I, I start the story often by saying I spend my honeymoon in Thailand with my best man. We're both from like South Southeast Asian families, and um, you know I was at a company running product, and that company was shuttering weeks before my wedding. And my wife is super sharp, got into med school in second year of undergrad without MCATs. And we were to get married and there's like 500 people coming to this wedding. And days before the wedding, my wedding got called off for a number of reasons. And I think one of the key themes there was, I will amount to nothing. (laughs) One of the key themes from the family was, I will amount to nothing given how I am. Immense, immense pain. And somehow we got through it and, and we did end up getting married. Um, but every couple of years, there's been some hell. Like the first iteration of the traction conf was called, uh, un, had a different name. We drove all of this. We had a, another partner we were working with. That person ran off with a quarter million dollars. We had to file an injunction. But see, this is the, uh, there's a key learning in, in each of these. So the key learning from that whole incident of the pre-traction, people can steal your ideas. They cannot steal your passion. Passion transcends companies, relationships transcend companies. I brought all the speakers to that event and I had the passion. He never really saw the light of day. Nobody even knows what event, what he's doing these days, but we took that rejection and that failure to not rule me or rule us, but to fuel us and we built from there traction into 110,000 people. The, the All the same speakers, the relationships, the passion took took it forward, right? Then a couple years later, um, you know, uh, did another startup, Speakeasy. It was incubated by Bessemer Ventures. It was founded by Bessemer Ventures. They put together a team. So I was early team member there, pretty much running product, go to market, pretty much running the scene there. And that company failed after a lot of stress. It, it was, I took two months off and I tell everyone this, if you're between companies, take two months to clear a mind. Then we started Boast. After that, uh, midway through, I think in 2018, we're planning for another kid. We had twins. We were expecting twins. One of the twins passed. Because of that, uh, we had to pull out our second twin three months early. And I didn't know if she was going to live or die because she grew in the incubator at Stanford Mm. for three and a half months. And that was a scary experience. And then, you know, like uh, this fundraise happened. And then after that, I almost died of COVID. So, like every time there is this stress, but I kid you not, man, you can. The glass is always half full. If you sit and think and mope, you're gonna go into depression, and Mm -hmm. you're just gonna you're gonna destroy yourself. Fifty percent is uh, is the situation you're in, and fifty percent is how you react to it. One of my learnings from all these stresses is, um, if you just sort of Yes, you, people get emotional. Go curse at the wall, get a shrink, or you may have a spouse who's a shrink or friends who are like shrinks who just listen. Get a coach or get a shrink or you have friends. Just, just cry when you need to cry. Humans are emotional beings. Cry when you need to cry. Curse and scream at the wall if you need to. Get it out there, but then keep moving, keep moving. Take the next step, next action to move things forward because being depressed doesn't fix the situation. I don't know if
1: this is sort of related or this current period that you've had, this this year of challenges that you've had with COVID and whatnot and mindset and some of the other stuff that you're talking about and your experience in high school and what went on there. I mean, it, it's quite a unique story and we, we haven't touched on it. And I, I know we're sort of wrapping up and we've only got a few minutes left. But if I've got this correct, you dropped out of high school. You never get a high school diploma. And then you go to university and you get an engineering degree.
0: <laughs> that is that you know that is a funny story. So I I ditched my high school exams. I didn't finish. I never went to any class. I hated school. I've been like anti school because I don't like the stuff they teach you. They teach you nothing that you can apply. What I learned in engineering, uh, sort of 15 years ago, is mostly what they teach right now. It's it's a lot of focus on sort of theory and what you can memorize and regurgitate versus what you can do. I would love to have had a programming class where they asked us to build something, or I'd love to have a fi- class on financial literacy and investing. I'd love to have multiple classes on, on, uh, on language, um, dancing, you name it, right. Those kinds of things structured like that. But anyway, didn't have that. I didn't, I didn't finish my high school. I don't have a high school diploma. Uh, and that was, I went to high school in Kuwait. Um, I came to Canada, applied to university and I'm like, you know, there's political unrest going on in Kuwait. So I don't have my diploma yet. And they said, okay, you know what? Anyway, write these, you got to do these exams. And um, I did really well on those math and science exams. And I got in. They followed up for one semester and then they stopped following up and <laughs> lucked out. I, and I ended up with an engineering degree. A lot of what you do in life is hustle uh, and, and grit and pushing through. I, I honestly probably wouldn't have done engineering if it wasn't my mom or my girlfriend pushing me on it. I think the only thing, one of the few things that university conveys on your resume is that you can finish what you start. You have the determination to finish what you start. But so much of what you become is from doing stuff, right? And I think my world experiences have shaped me. Like speaking of the Gulf War in the 90s, and this is probably this this experience of being a refugee of the Gulf War informed my whole life. We were, the country was being bombed and um, you know I hated school from, from back then. Anyway, I did this exam and I always studied last minute. I was I think in grade four maybe or so. I go to the exam thinking it's math and it end up being geography and I'm like, I'm screwed here. I'm going to fail. My parents are going to kill me. It's over. And uh, a month of summer rolls in and I get a, my mom wakes me up and she's like, the wars broke out in Kuwait. Iraq is in uh, no school. The first, my first thought as a nine-year-old is like, yes, I'm not gonna get grounded for failing this exam. But then like things started to sink in and it was scary. Everything was getting bombed. And, and so we were on these refugee buses going and everyone was under a lot of uncertainty, right? You don't have a currency anymore. You don't have a house anymore. You don't even have a passport anymore, probably. And you don't know if you're gonna live or die. So you're going from Kuwait to Baghdad to Jordan, living in these refugee camps. And as I looked around in this bus, I only saw people smiling and they were singing. People had guitar, drums, and they were just playing music on that several day journey. And that day I realized it's neither the destination nor the journey, but the companions that matter the most. And ultimately to me, That is what matters. That's how I run my company. That's how I run my life. And that's how I want to be remembered for.
1: Appreciate the time and all the perspective, Lloyd. Uh, Where can people learn more about Boast, Follow Traction, uh, Connect With You Online? And just generally see what you're up to.
0: Definitely. So just search me on LinkedIn and add me. It's double L-O-Y-E-D. My parents thought someday I'll start a company with my name. And so they threw an E in there so I could trademark it. So double L-O-Y-E-D, <laughs> Lobo on LinkedIn. Um, boast.ai, B-O-A-S-T And then traction, uh, you know, just go to boast.ai forward slash events or go to tractionconf.io and, and you'll see all our events. And, and we host hundreds of events and they're all recorded and available for free on YouTube and lots of good tactical content, how to get from A to B. And uh, you can just go to YouTube and search Traction Conf.
1: Perfect. Thanks, Lloyd. And as always, thank you listeners for tuning in. That's it guys for today. Thanks so much for listening. E2 is brought to you by Base. Want to build recurring revenue for your business? Visit scriberbase.com for more info. If you enjoy the show, download, share, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit us at glow.fm slash e2 to become a supporter. Until next time, make today count with whatever it is you're working on.
0: Join me in this community where through powerful storytelling, we heal and reclaim our inherent magic. Electric acid.
1: Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. trick